0: Well, good morning, everyone. That was fantastic. We believe. I raise a hallelujah. And now this guy is going to stand up and talk to you about money. (laughs) What a downer, right? What a downer. But that was great worship. We thank you. Thank you, worship team. That was wonderful. Uh, Well, we are going to talk about money today. Uh, I'm uh, going to preach from Matthew chapter 6, verses 19 to 24, in a message that I'm calling, Your Money or Your Life. Uh, Before we get into it, let's go to the Lord in prayer. Lord God, we thank you uh, for worship, uh, how it uplifts our spirits, Lord, how it glorifies and praises you, Lord, and I pray that uh, we've all uh, uh, just tuned into the words, and uh, Lord, that we have raised a hallelujah, that we're grateful for what you've done for us, Lord, and that we would be uh, attentive to the word. Lord, we ask your Holy Spirit to come and uh, teach us this morning, Lord, help us to take what you would have for us this morning. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, in 1922, uh, Howard Carter discovered the uh, tomb of King Tutankhamen, uh, known to us as King Tut. Now, King Tut was not one of the more, uh, shall we say, significant pharaohs uh, in Egypt's long history of pharaohs. Uh, He was uh, made king in 1334 BC at the age of only nine years old. But he was a sickly child and he lived for about nine years and then he died. Uh, at eighteen years old, and during his life, he had actually married his half sister uh, and she had had two miscarriages uh, by their marriage and so King Tut actually didn 't even leave a surviving heir now Of course, what makes King Tut so famous is the discovery of his tomb, right His tomb was discovered in one thousand nine hundred and twenty two and uh, unlike the tombs of most of the other pharaohs whose tombs have been found, his tomb had not been found by other looters and raiders. And so uh, the tomb was virtually intact. And in fact, his, his body, which had been mummified for uh, over 3,000 years, was also found uh, virtually intact. Well, he was buried with over 5,000 artifacts uh, in his tomb. That's what they found there. Uh, including this uh, coffin of his that was made of solid gold and his death mask that was inside the coffin right over his face, which is also made of uh, solid gold uh, and uh, other precious metals. That's the death mask that was found, and uh, that death mask is, of course, in the Egyptian museum uh, now. And uh, all the other artifacts are kind of on a traveling tour throughout museums around the world so the world can see the treasures that were found. In, in, King Tut's Pharaoh, or, uh, in, in King Tut's tomb. But the reason why these pharaohs uh, buried their treasure with them was for a couple of reasons. They wanted to show that they had very high social and economic status. So if you can afford to have 5,000 artifacts buried with you, then you're a very high social status, and that's what that showed. But the other reason was that uh, there was a belief that the pharaohs could take these treasures with them to the other side, that they could use them Uh, when they crossed over to whatever their view of the afterlife was. Uh, So they stored up for themselves treasure on earth, not realizing that they could not take it with them uh, when they went. And so it makes us ask ourselves, uh, what are we doing with the treasures that we have on earth and what should be our attitude toward treasures on earth? Uh, As King Tut learned, you can't take it with you. And we know that we can't take it with us, and so we have to ask ourselves, what should our attitude about uh, these treasures be? Uh, What should be our attitude? How should we view our money? What are we willing to sacrifice to get it? What are we willing to sacrifice to keep it, uh, to protect it? Uh, What are we thinking about when we think about our money? Uh, And when we think about that, we have to be prepared to ask the hard questions of ourselves. And the really hard question is, what do we really prioritize? Do we really prioritize God, or do we really prioritize our money? Now, I know that you don't want to hear a message about money. I know it's not a lot of fun to be told what to do with your money, but I want you to know that this is not me telling you what to do with your money. Uh, Jesus said and talked so much about money because money is so important. It has the ability to derail us in so many ways. And Jesus didn't preach about money to make people feel guilty about money. He preached about money because he loved people and he wanted them to be saved and he wanted them to uh, properly prioritize their money and God because money has the ability to derail us and even cost us salvation. And so that's what the preaching is about. The message today is not that money and possessions are bad. Money and possessions are not bad. Uh, they're only bad when those things possess us. Uh, in fact, you know that the Bible says uh, not that, the, that money is the root of all evil, but that the love of money is the root of all evil, right? That's where the problem is. And so money should be a tool that we use, right? It's neutral in and of itself. Uh, it's, it's a tool and we use it. Uh, so it's not evil, uh, but yet somehow money can become our primary motivation and primary concern in life. And when that happens and it takes priority over God, well, that's when it becomes a problem. So remember, Jesus throughout the Sermon on the Mount has been correcting people's attitudes towards the things that he's been talking about. right? Praying, publicly is not a bad thing. In fact, it's a good thing, unless Your praying publicly is to glorify yourself rather than to glorify God. Then it becomes a bad thing. The same thing with giving. Uh, We've seen that if we give with making a loud noise about it so everybody can see it, our attitudes are all wrong. And if we walk around fasting with our faces all contorted so people will know, then our attitudes are all wrong and we're not fasting with the proper motives. But if done with the right attitude, these things glorify God. And so it's all about our attitude, and the same thing applies with our money. Uh, The priority that we place on our money is a reflection of our attitude toward God. So we ask ourselves, do we use our money to glorify ourselves or do we use it to help further the kingdom? Do we use our time to acquire more money, more money than we need, or do we use our time to increase the kingdom? And so as we look at this short passage today, we'll see that Jesus presented his listeners with a couple of alternatives, and he did that three different times. And so what we see is the choices are, there are two treasures, there's one on earth and there's one in heaven, which will we choose? Uh, There are two bodily conditions, there's light and there's darkness, which will we choose? There are two masters, God or money, which one will we choose? And thankfully, Jesus gives us the answers along the way because sometimes, We can be pretty dull, right? And sometimes he has to say things to us a number of times. So let's look at the first principle. Uh, Choose for yourself treasure in heaven over treasure on earth. Matthew chapter 6, verses 19 to 21. Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in or steal for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. So the principle is simple. Store up treasure for yourselves in heaven rather than on earth. The Greek literally reads, do not treasure for yourselves treasure in heaven, or on earth, I'm sorry. Do not treasure for yourselves treasure on earth. And the reason for that is that earthly things are not made to last, right? And what he's speaking about here, uh, things that are subject to moth, uh, is things like fabric, garments, expensive uh, cloth like that. Uh, in ancient Israel, wealthy people had fine linens and they had fine garments and, and that was a sign of their wealth. Uh, just like wealthy people today might go around and design their clothes and you can know that they're wealthy by the labels uh, on their clothes or on their purse or whatever. Uh, Lydia from Acts chapter 16 was a dealer in fine purple fabric, right? And she was a wealthy woman uh, because fabric was a valuable and desired commodity. But they didn't have cool and dry places to store these things. Uh, They were subject to the heat, they were subject to humidity, and they were subject to the moth, which had always been a problem uh, in Israel. So garments and fine fabrics were just not durable. They weren't made to last. The same was true of their other possessions. The word that we see here for rust in verse 19 is the Greek word brosis, which actually means an eating away uh, so your translation may say where moth and vermin destroy rather than where moth and rust destroy because vermin is something that eats away at grain just like rust would eat away at their coins. Uh, so it could be applied to either one. So the the, the uh, issue there is that wealthy Israelites would store their grain in barns, right? That's where you would keep them. And you remember the parable of the rich fool. He said, uh, what shall I do? I have more grain than all my barns will hold. And he says, I know what I'll do. I'll tear down that barn and I'll build bigger barns and there I will store my grain. Well, it didn't matter what size of barn they had, they were not going to be able to keep out the mice and the rats and the worms from destroying at least a portion of their grain. So their grain or their coins wouldn't last either. They were subject to uh, being eaten away or to corrosion. And what the moth or the vermin didn't destroy, thieves might steal. Their houses were nothing but uh, these walls and, and ceilings of baked clay. Now baked clay is pretty hard substance and those things would get very hard as they baked in the hot sun. But a baked clay wall is no match for a thief with digging tools who wants to get into your house, he can scratch eventually right through uh, that wall. In fact, even the great tombs of Egypt, as as we've seen, were not able to keep thieves and robbers out of them. You couldn't even find those tombs unless uh, you really knew where they were, uh, and they didn't even fear the afterlife enough to, to worry about what was gonna happen to them if they went in and stole. They went in and stole anyway without fear of what might happen to them. So Jesus was right. Either the moth would destroy it, or the vermin would destroy it, or thieves would steal it. Now in our world, we can't really relate to that very well, but we have things like the stock market, right? Nobody expected the stock market to crash in 1929, and all of a sudden, everybody uh, who had been wealthy the next morning uh, was poor. Uh, The the real estate crash in the late 90s was a time of very difficult, uh, very difficult time uh, all across the country. It started a huge recession. Uh, The election of a new president could it could possibly have a profound impact on the world economy. Uh, Anything can happen, and so that's why we don't place uh, so much trust in wealth. We place our trust in the Lord. Uh, And so what we want to to be sure of is that we're spending our time thinking about how we can further the kingdom of heaven. It doesn't make sense to store up treasure on earth over uh, the treasure that we could accumulate uh, in heaven. Uh, And that's not to say that it's wrong to have wealth. I'm not saying that at all. The Bible never chastises anyone uh, for having a lot of money. What the Bible chastises or chides people for is when they have the wrong attitude toward their money and their wealth. Jesus told the rich young ruler to go and sell everything that he had and to give it to the poor, uh, not because that's what you have to do to get to heaven, uh, but because to him, to the rich young ruler, his possessions had become an idol and he couldn't get to Jesus. He couldn't come to Jesus for salvation because his money was a snare to him. It got in his way and prevented him from being saved. So. Uh, We're not told to give away or or to hand out all of our wealth. And it also doesn't mean that we can't have retirement accounts. Retirement accounts are a good thing. Solomon praises the ant for storing up uh, food for the winter, and he mocks the sluggard for being too lazy to lift his hand back up to the dish. Uh, The Bible also says God has given us all good things to enjoy. So there's nothing wrong with enjoying the fruits of our labor, and there's nothing wrong uh, with having wealth. The only problem is if we selfishly hoard that wealth for ourselves uh, rather than blessing others with it, when we spend every waking hour uh, thinking about how to acquire it, how to keep it, how to protect it, how to get more, uh, or uh, if we spend our money and time just trying to further uh, our own kingdom, trying to impress others uh, with the things that we have rather than trying to further the kingdom. And if we do that, that shows that money is our master and God is not our master. And so the point is, is that whatever we are going to accumulate is not going to last. So why do we waste our time trying to uh, accumulate things that are not gonna last, that we can't protect, and that we can't take with us when we die? Uh, Rather, we should spend our time as much as we can trying to accumulate things in heaven where moth and uh, vermin and where uh, thieves cannot destroy because spiritual treasures are eternal. So when we think about it, we really have a daily decision to make about what we are going to value, whether we're going to value treasure on earth or treasure in heaven. And if we're deciding between the two, if we're trying to put them on the scales and weigh them and see which one has more value to us, perhaps, it would be somewhat beneficial to know what the treasures in heaven that we're going to receive are going to be. But unfortunately, Jesus doesn't tell us here what the treasures in heaven are. But here's what we do know. Uh, Since Jesus went to the cross to die for our sins and be raised from the dead so that if we believe in him, we can be in eternity in heaven with him, we can imagine that whatever those eternal treasures are, they're gonna be pretty good, right? We know that because he died for them, so that we could have them. So I want us to think about it this way. Whatever treasure it is, even if we can't identify what it is, it's still better than anything we could take with us from earth, right? Because we can't take anything with us from earth. Naked we came into the world and naked we're gonna go out of the world. And so any treasure that we have in heaven is better than that. And whatever it is, is going to be with us for all eternity. And so I just want us to think about what some of the heavenly uh, treasure that we are storing up could potentially be. Uh, So let's think about it. Uh, Here's the first one I came up with. Uh, The soul of every person who is in heaven due to whatever you have contributed toward their salvation. That's part of the treasure that you are building up in heaven, whether it's money donated to some ministry that does evangelism on the other side of the world that contributed 1% to somebody's salvation that counts as treasure in heaven. Uh, Whether it's time that you spent doing prison ministry or uh, working in distribution of Bibles or something like that and somebody somewhere that you'll never meet got saved, that is treasure in heaven for you. Uh, Whether you've given wise counsel to people and kept them on the path that God has for them, or whether you yourself have done personal evangelism and saw somebody else come to Christ as a result of that, that's treasure in heaven that will last all eternity. Here's another potential thing. Responsibility in heaven based on the good stewardship of what God has entrusted to us on earth. Now, we know the parable of the talents and the parable of the minas, right? The the master gives and trusts a certain amount of wealth to his faithful stewards and they invest it for him. And when the master comes back to settle his accounts, the master says, well done, good and faithful servant, enter into the joy of your master. But that's not all he says. He says, because you have been faithful with little, I will put you in charge of much in the kingdom of heaven. And so uh, this responsibility that we're going to have is based on the treasure that we are building up uh, on earth. And how about this one, rewards for obedience. In Matthew chapter 16, uh, Jesus said, the son of man is going to come uh, with his angels in the glory of the father, and he will repay each person according to what he has done. Now, that's not a judgment verse, that's a verse about rewards that believers are going to have in heaven. And so there will be rewards for the faithful and obedient believer who was obedient with what God gave him on earth. And so in the context of this passage, it means faithful obedience with the provisions that God has given us to use for his own glory. That's our time as well as our money. You know, one of the things that makes this choice so difficult is that it's very likely that we are not going to see the fruits of the time and the money that we invest in the kingdom of heaven on this side of eternity. Uh, That's a hard thing regarding our money. It takes a lot of discipline for us to to send a check to some ministry that's doing evangelism in China or India or something like that when we are never going to see the fruits of that, that labor. And regarding our time, uh, it's hard to go distributing Bibles or doing prison ministry when more than likely uh, we're just like one cog along the way uh, for that person to achieve their salvation. We're probably not going to see many of those people converted to Christ. Uh, maybe we will, and that would be a blessing. But even if we serve just one bit of moving a person towards non-belief, toward, uh, from non-belief toward belief, we probably aren't gonna see that on this side of heaven. So it's difficult for us to invest in these things that we don't see uh, the fruits of. It can be a lot more gratifying for us to spend our time or our money on ourselves because we know that that bears immediate fruit when we get to do the things that we want to do. And so uh, I look at it this way, when we try to lose weight Uh, what we're doing is we're trying to make one good decision after another, right? We're trying to to say, all right, I'm going to eat well at lunch, then we're going to eat well at dinner, then breakfast the next morning. But sometimes it's so much easier because that's so hard to see because it takes a long time to see the fruit of that. It's easier just to let the cheeseburger and the milkshake win out uh, because that's immediate gratification and it makes us happy right now rather than the happiness we might have, you know, four months down the road when we see that we've lost the weight that we were trying to lose. Uh, With our resources, again, it's harder because we might never actually see uh, the fruit of that. But Jesus promises us that if we are good stewards with our money, if we do faithfully use what he has entrusted to us, both our money and our time, and if we recognize that our resources are a gift from God, and if we are good stewards with what he has entrusted to us, and if we will prioritize the kingdom of heaven, Jesus Jesus promises us that we are, in fact, storing up for ourselves these treasures in heaven. Jesus said, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. So where we put our time and our money shows the desires of our hearts. And so the question is, are we interested in amassing this earthly fortune or are we we interested in amassing a heavenly fortune? And so as I thought about this and I thought about giving this message, I'm trying hard not to beat us all up about how we spend our time and money because this is really, really hard. You know, most of us are just average Joes, right? We go to work and we spend our 40 hours and we're trying to make ends meet and uh, we try to survive another month, make another mortgage payment, whatever it is. And, and, you know, you take a breath because you got this month's bills paid and it's on to the next month, right? Uh, Who has time to think about treasures on earth and treasures in heaven and what we do with our time Uh, Well, Jesus was trying to redirect their focus, right? Again, it's all about their attitude. uh, And are they willing to uh, give up something of their own wealth so that they might further uh, the kingdom of heaven? And and Jesus wants them to understand that the treasure in heaven is so great if we will only uh, shift our focus toward it a little more perhaps than we do right now. Uh, Who knows what treasure God has in store for us? 1 Corinthians Uh, Chapter two, verse nine says, eye has not uh, seen nor has ear heard the things that God has prepared for those who love him. So we want to choose treasure in heaven over treasure on earth. And so the next then principle would be to choose light over darkness, verses 22 and 23. The eye is the lamp of the body. So then if your eye is clear, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. And if then the light that is in you is darkness, how great is that darkness? Well, our eyes see, and they allow us to to decide what the treasure of our hearts will be. And in that way, our eyes are a lamp. Uh, And the condition of the eyes that leads to the condition of having, uh, being full of light is that they are clear. Now, that's a difficult word, uh, word to translate. The Greek word is the word haplous. Uh, your translation may say clear, it may say good, it may say sound, it may say sincere, uh, it may say healthy. Uh, all different translations of that word. Uh, but in context, the word means that uh, they, our eyes need to be single-minded for good purpose uh, so that we want our eyes to see the way God sees, not the way we see. We wanna look at things from a heavenly perspective, not from an earthly perspective, and because we want to do whatever it is that he wants us to do. But this word haplous has another meaning too, and it means to be generous. So if we were to take the full meaning of this word and put it into the context of the verse, we would say that a, a haploose eye is single-minded of purpose. It's fixed on God. And the man who has that haploose eye will be generous with all that he has. And so that's what we're talking about here. And We know, of course, that generosity <coughs> is a very prominent theme in the Bible. It goes all the way back to Moses' teaching in Deuteronomy. Chapter 15, if there is a poor man with you, one of your brothers in any of your towns, in your land, which the Lord your God is giving you, you shall not harden your heart, nor close your hand from your poor brother, but you shall freely open your hand to him and shall generously lend him sufficient for his need in whatever he lacks. And so generosity uh, is, a, is a, a sign in ourselves that we are able to give to others that we're not hoarding our wealth for ourselves. And so we're, we, we want to have that generous spirit and a person with this attitude will be full of light. Just think for a second about what light does. It reveals what is hidden in the dark, right? And so if our whole bodies are full of light, then what is happening is that we are able to see the sinful attitudes that are in us. They are exposed and we are able to confront them. A person who does not have a clear eye or a good eye is full of darkness and he's not able to see and confront those sinful attitudes that exist in his heart. And so the opposite condition of having a clear eye is what the, the Greek calls panerus, which is variously translated as an evil eye or a wicked eye or a bad eye, depending on what your translation says. Uh, but it means to have a wicked eye, to not be able to have this eye of generosity and love toward another because you're so consumed with your money. Now the rabbis had this term. It was called the evil eye, right? We even use that in our vernacular today. Somebody gives somebody else the evil eye, right? That's not a good look. Uh, But back then in Proverbs, uh, we read Proverbs 28, 22, says this, a man with an evil eye hastens after wealth and does not know that want will come upon him. So this concept of the evil eye dates back all the way, at least as far as Solomon in Proverbs, when he wrote that a 1,000 years ago earlier, and, and so these rabbis had this, this knowledge of this condition of having an evil eye, uh, but in the scribes and Pharisees, they didn't recognize it in themselves, even though they taught about it. Uh, they knew they weren't supposed to have an evil eye, but yet they still uh, did. Uh, so a person with a bad eye is full of darkness, and, and darkness, when used symbolically in the Bible, is never a good thing, right? It's always a bad thing, and Jesus talked about it in John three nineteen and 20, he said, This is the judgment that light has come into the world and men loved darkness rather than the light for their deeds were evil. For everyone who does evil hates the light and does not come to the light for fear that his deeds will be exposed. And so what do we see there about light and darkness? Uh, We see that it's a choice, right? A person chooses darkness or a person chooses light. And so it's a choice that we make. And we know that uh, light or darkness is nothing but the absence of light. And so we choose to allow our eyes to have good light so that our bodies will be full of light. Jesus said in verse 23, if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. And if then the light that is in you is darkness, how great is that darkness? It's kind of a confusing verse, is it? Like how can light be darkness? How can the light that is in you be darkness? Well, it's if the eye is not seeing correctly. It's not going to light up the body full of light. It's going to light it up with something else. Their eyes see, but rather than producing light, they produce darkness because their eyes aren't working right. They see everything through the lens of selfishness or covetousness or envy. And rather than producing life, light in them, it produces darkness in them. And the effect is that the whole body is full of darkness and remains in darkness. I am going to <coughs> go out on a limb here with an illustration and we'll see what happens with this one. Some of you uh, may have seen The Hobbit or read The Hobbit or have been fans of the Lord of the Rings trilogy. Uh, there was a character in that movie uh, called Bilbo Baggins. I remember reading this in high school and I'm not gonna get the details exactly right, so don't at me and you can ask your grandchildren what that means. Uh, it's, uh, Bilbo Baggins wanders into the cave of this uh, Hobbit called Smeagol. Uh, And Smeagol had been in that cave for uh, hundreds of years, and Smeagol possessed this thing called the ring, uh, which increased life, and it gave him powers. And one of those powers was the power of invisibility when he put it on. Uh, But that ring also had evil powers. It drew the presence of this satanic character called Sauron uh, in the book. Uh, And Smeagol spent centuries in this damp and dark cave protecting this precious ring so that nobody could steal it from him. But all the while, he didn't know that he was coming under the seductive powers of the ring as well. Uh, He became enslaved to the power of the ring. He became possessed by his possession. Well, at some point in that cave, he lost the ring, and Bilbo, when he wr- wandered into the cave, he found the ring, but he didn't tell Smeagol that he found it, and to get away, he had to put the ring on and use the power of invisibility to escape Smeagol, but Smeagol knew, I think, deep down that he had it, and he spent the rest of his life trying to recapture that ring because it was so important to him. His possession actually possessed him, and he thought he needed it to have life, uh, his life be worth living. And I tell you all that because I think that this is the power of the evil eye. This is what happens to us when we become so focused on ourselves, focused on our possessions, focused on spending time to protect or accumulate more of them that we become full of darkness and we become hoarders of time and money and stuff rather than blessing others with them. A good eye is a generous eye. Uh, A good eye makes a person full of light, but an evil eye can turn us all into smeagles, and our possessions can end up possessing us and our lack of generosity can ruin us. Now, if you've seen the movie, which I'm sure you guys have, uh, this is what Smeagol, how he's portrayed. He's this grotesque, wiry uh, figure with big, bulging eyes and suspicious eyes, uh, probably acquired by spending centuries in that dark cave. Uh, And and this is what he's portrayed as. He's got a a dark eye, right? He's dark. his, His whole body is full of darkness. And I'm afraid that this is what we look like to an outside world that looks to us as Christians and they see uh, that we are not generous, that we do not love, that we are uh, possessed by our possessions. Uh, They might see people with bodies that are full of darkness and that's certainly something we never want to portray as Christians. So let your eye be good. Choose light over darkness. Now the last choice is between two masters and the principle is this. Choose to serve God over money. Verse 24, no one can serve two masters for he will either hate the one and love the other or he will be devoted to one and despise the other. You can't serve God and wealth. Now, in the previous two choices, the the, the danger was in trying to choose one over the other, right? You choose treasure on earth over treasure in heaven or you choose darkness over light. But here, the danger is that we try to choose both and we can't have both. Uh, Jesus said it can't be done. The problem is divided loyalties. You can't serve both faithfully. Imagine trying to be married to two people at one time. Imagine trying to work two full-time jobs at one time. (laughs) Imagine trying to be in two places at one time. Uh, These things are just impossible to do because our loyalties are divided. Uh, Now, Jesus here was talking about a slave and masters. That's the illustration that he uses. And uh, they they knew what he was talking about. A slave owed all of his loyalty to one master, all of his time, all of his energy, all of his effort was owed to this one master. Uh, And every moment of his life was governed by him. And so it was impossible for one person to serve two masters. They all knew that you could only be bound to one. Well, the word for wealth here is the word mammon. Uh, Some translations say money. You may have that in yours. Uh, The translation I read from said wealth. Uh, Some of the older versions retain the word mammon. Mammon is the Hebrew uh, Hebrew word for one's possessions, whether it be money or your possessions or your stuff, whatever it might be. But not only the stuff that you had, but stuff that you would entrust to somebody else. Like when you and I would take money and put it in the bank or put something in a safety deposit box, we're entrusting that to the safekeeping of another. But over time, the meaning of the word mammon changed to something that we entrust to another, to something that we place our trust in. And that's a very big difference when you think about it, right? We're now placing our trust in the money, not placing our trust in the person who we've given the the money to, to keep uh, safe for us. And so we ask ourselves, what do we trust in? Do we trust in God or do we trust in mammon? Uh, The famous New Testament scholar Bob Dylan once said, you're gonna have to serve somebody. It may be the devil or it may be the Lord, but you're gonna have to serve somebody. And of course, he's right, we cannot serve two masters. We have to decide who our master is gonna be. We're going to love the one and we're going to hate the other. Love and hate there means to choose one over the other. It doesn't mean literal love and hate, like when God said, uh, I chose Jacob and Esau I hated. Or when Jesus said, whoever does not hate mother, father, sister, brother, even his own life, uh, he cannot be my disciple. He's talking about a choice that we make one over the other, not literal love and hate. Uh, In the same way, uh, people must choose to follow Jesus Christ wholeheartedly uh, if they are going to be disciples. Uh, Dorothy was headed to the eternal city in the Wizard of Oz as long as she stayed on the yellow brick road, but she continued to get derailed. Uh, Christian from the Pilgrim's Progress was headed for the eternal city as long as he kept his eyes focused on the gate, but he continued to get derailed. And so in the life that we live, in our daily lives, there are countless opportunities for us to get derailed too, and to get off the path that God has for us. Materialism is the way of the world. The message of the Sermon on the Mount, as we've seen from the beginning, is be different. Be different from the world. Don't place your trust in money. Place your trust in God. Uh, We are confronted with difficult decisions every day, and Jesus had been teaching them in the Sermon on the Mount by principle and also by example what is required to be a disciple of Christ. We have to be poor in spirit. We have to mourn our sin. We have to be meek. We have to hunger and thirst for righteousness. We have to be merciful. We have to be peacemakers. Uh, These are the things that he wants from us. Be salt and light. These require decisions on our part. We have to make the daily decision to do this particular thing, and it's not a one-time choice. We make this decision every single time we're confronted with a situation or a dilemma where we have to decide, are we gonna serve God, or are we gonna serve something else or someone else? Are we going to act the way God wants us to act, or are we going to act the way the world acts? Are we going to cling tightly to our possessions? Will our possessions save us or has Christ already saved us? That's a question that we need to answer. Our money says, in God we trust on it. Do we trust in God or do we trust in the money that has the slogan written on it? Uh, We have to answer these questions. Jesus talked so much about money because it can derail us, the rich young ruler probably didn't get to heaven because his money was such a snare. So how can we be sure that materialism doesn't become a snare to us that eventually keeps us uh, out of the kingdom or people we know out of the kingdom? How do we talk to people who have materialism in the way of their path toward heaven? Well, I have a couple questions to ask us by way of application. And the first one is this. If I lost every material possession I had, would I still be rich? Do you know how rich you are when you have Jesus Christ? That's all you need, right? And sometimes you find out when you've lost everything you have, you find out that if you have Jesus Christ, that's all you need. Uh, If you lost every material possession you had, you would still be rich. If your attitude about Jesus Christ and your salvation is in proper priority with your material. Uh, Jim Elliott was a missionary to the Alka tribe. I I know you know his story. Uh, he and the other missionaries that he uh, was going there with in Ecuador, uh, he knew that every other tribe that had, or every other people that tried to uh, evangelize to this tribe had ended up killed. Uh, but he went anyway, he and four other people were killed. Uh, and when his body was found, they found his diary along with it. Uh, and in his diary were written these words, he is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. That's probably the most profound human statement I can think of. It really is an amazing statement. Uh, That's how we should evaluate how we spend our time, our talent, and our treasures. And incredibly, after he died, his wife and some other people went back and evangelized that very same tribe that had killed her husband with miraculous results. And now many Alcas are saved. So are we giving what we cannot keep to gain what we cannot lose? Or... Like the Egyptian pharaohs, are we storing up for ourselves treasures on earth that we can't take with us and have, that have no eternal value? So if I lost every material possession I had, would I still be rich? And second, if I had to choose, would I deny myself or God? I read a funny story this week. A farmer had a cow that gave birth to two calves and he felt very blessed by that. So he told his wife, I'm going to give one of these cows to the uh, calves to the Lord uh, as a dedication to him. And his wife said, well, which one, honey? And he said, well, I don't know. We'll see what happens when they get older. Uh, and when, I'm, when they're older and it's time to sell them, uh, the Lord will direct me and I'll sell them and uh, he'll tell me what to do with the money. Well, a few months later, after a long day in the field, the farmer comes in and says to his wife, uh, bad news, honey, uh, the Lord's calf died. <laughs> And it's a funny story, but the truth is sometimes when we have to decide whose calf died, it's the Lord in our lives. It's the Lord's calf in our lives, right? And so we need to be careful about that. Uh, We have to choose to give the first fruits of uh, what we have to the Lord so that uh, when one of the two calves died, we don't have to make that decision about whether it was our calf or the Lord's calf uh, that died. So the daily temptation is to choose to spend our time and our money on ourselves and to let money be our master and to uh, let uh, ourselves be comfortable rather than productive for the kingdom. And that's a temptation that's never gonna go away. It's going to confront us every day and I do not stand up here immune from it. I struggle with it daily as many of you may as well. Uh, it's a difficult thing, and the last thing I want is to make us feel guilty about how we spend our time and our money, or that I'm accusing you of not doing enough. Uh, I wish I was doing more. I'm sure many of you do too, but Jesus is just trying to change their focus a little bit here, and that's all I'm trying to do. Let's, let's see if we can focus a little bit more uh, than we are, even if it's 1% on the kingdom of heaven rather than what we're doing here on earth. When God says... Enter into the joy of your master. He's not going to lead you into the bank vault where you kept your savings accounts. He's going to usher you into the kingdom of heaven where you will see and bear witness for yourself to every single thing uh, that you have ever done to increase the kingdom of heaven, and you'll see the fruit there that you invested here. And so may we think more about storing up great treasure for him in heaven. Let's pray. Lord, this is a difficult message when we have to talk about our money and how we spend it and our attitude toward it. um, Lord, we can start to bristle a little bit under your authority. Uh, Lord, we can uh, find ourselves in a position where uh, we feel convicted and yet we can feel resentful at the same time. And Lord, I pray that that's not our attitude. Lord, I pray that you are convicting our hearts and gently trying to show us that the way of the kingdom is so much better than the way of the world. And just like you've been showing us throughout the entire Sermon on the Mount, Lord, we need to be looking at these things with heavenly perspective rather than earthly perspective. And Lord, I pray that we would all feel a little bit convicted today. uh, And Lord, that we would think about how we might invest more in the kingdom so that we might hear you say those amazing words, well done, good and faithful servant, enter into the joy of your master. We pray these things in Christ's name, Lord. Amen.